0: Tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Good morning, Neighborhood Church. My name is John Wyatt. I am the youth pastor here to our junior high and high school students and also help give leadership and care for our life groups. Um, you're still talking, so that's perfect. By a show of hands, how many people here prefer multicolored lights on the tree? Okay, the right people. Okay, um, how many people here uh, prefer white lights, clear lights on the tree? Okay, a few of you. Okay, okay, I have 35 minutes to convince you that, no, I'm just kidding. Um, and by an honest show of hands, how many people have conflict in their families or marriages over, yeah, okay, I see a hand or two. Um, I'm not gonna lie, One for my wife Debbie and I, our first Christmas was a real whopper of a fight, I mean negotiation, about what type of light should be on the tree. Um, I grew up in a family where there was multicolored, and she grew up in a family that had different colored ones. And so nine years later, though, we are figuring out what works for our family, both. So it's been, it's been really fun. Um, but truly, Christmas is one of my favorite times of year. And yes, um, I did ask my wife right after Halloween, can we put up the Christmas lights? And she said, just wait for a little bit, please. Um, but I can say that on November 6th, phase one, of our Christmas lights went up on the outside of the house that consisted of perimeter lighting, okay, because we didn't want to do too much. I mean, it is November. Um, but we did perimeter lighting, and it was the first time that my six-year-old got to come up on the roof with me um, and put a thing. Shelby was delighted. She was so excited to organize the lights to make sure they were in the right order. Um, Debbie was not as uh, excited that Shelby was up on the roof with me, but it was great. Um, later that day, Shelby said, wow, wow. I can't believe I got to go on the roof, you know? So she was, it was just a fun moment. Um, but I also uh, want you to know that phase uh, three of Christmas lights is coming as well. Um, that's in the mail, but it's not gonna get here until a few days before Christmas, which kills me because in the world of Amazon Prime two-day shipping, when you don't buy from Amazon, you have to wait very long time for things. So um, I roll, whatever, but I guess we have to wait until Christmas, which is okay? Um, but it makes me ask the question, what is the longest that you have ever had to wait for something? Um, was it an internationally long flight that you had to take? Okay. Was it a very long engagement season was turning out to be much longer than you had anticipated? Was it uh, having to wait after you put your vacation time in in January, you had to wait the whole year until you could actually go on vacation? Was it waiting in line at a theme park for that newest ride that you know was worth it by hour three? You're like, is it worth it? I'm not too sure. Uh, Maybe you were waiting at that restaurant that you've heard and you finally got a reservation for but turns out everyone is there and so you're waiting longer than you anticipated. Maybe you're waiting for that baby to arrive and you've been excited about it but you're like kind of over it and you wanna get that part of life going. Maybe you're waiting to graduate. Maybe you've started your program and, school, and you're like, oh, this is going to be a long, long time. Um, but maybe graduation is just on the horizon, but you know how much work it's going to take to get there. Maybe you're waiting for that guy or that girl to finally ask you out on a date, right? And it's just been so long. You can ask my wife about that. Um, or maybe you're waiting to see the doctor. You're finally waiting to see the doctor. Or you're waiting for that treatment to be over with that you've been enduring for a long time now. I guess I wonder in those moments, what could have helped us prepare for those kind of waiting periods? What do you wish you would have known or done to help you deal with the waiting differently? What way did God meet you as you waited? You see, I ask these questions because including myself, all of us need help in our waiting. We all need help in the in-between moments from when we pray and then when that prayer is answered. We need to be residents of the in-between and figure out how to do that. Because all of us are waiting for something right now. Some of us, students, we're waiting for a Christmas break to come so that we don't have to think, right, for two weeks at least. Um, Maybe you're, uh, like I'm waiting for my little daughter, Oakley, to get done being sick. She's just been sick for a long time, so maybe we're waiting. Maybe you're waiting for news to get back to you because you turned in a resume recently and you're waiting to find out if they even know you're living or breathing right? Because your life depends on that. Maybe some of you have taken the incredibly sacrificial step of adoption, and you've been waiting on the adoption process that keeps getting pulled out longer and longer. Maybe some are waiting for test results to come in, and you're not sure what they're going to say. Maybe some of you have been waiting for a very long time, and you're praying for one of your loved ones' salvation, and you can't see any progress, so you're kind of wondering, do I keep praying or not? Maybe you're waiting for a separated spouse to come back. Maybe, students, you're praying for mom and dad to come back together. Or you're praying that maybe mom will call or dad will call. Maybe for some of us, you're over this season of singleness and you want to have a family. You would like to get married. And if you were writing your own story, this would never have been included in it. Maybe for some of us, we're waiting for the grief to be gone. But it keeps surprising us. You see, I believe it is in our waiting, even at Christmas time, that it can be a head down, eyes closed, kind of grin and bear it to get through it. It can be that, but I also believe that it's an incredibly vital time where God can make a difference in our life. In fact, as we learn not just to wait for God, but wait with God, I truly believe that something powerful and profound can take place inside of us that actually prepares our hearts and transforms us and takes waiting and turns it into preparation. While some are waiting with excitement, some are waiting with sadness, some fear, this morning I want you to hear that no matter what emotion you are currently experiencing at the beginning of Christmas, you don't have to wait alone. Jesus' name is Emmanuel. That means that God is with us. And nothing that we face can overwhelm him, and nothing that we feel can shock him. And this morning, he brought you to this church to be with his people as we open his word this morning, this December. And this morning, we're gonna look at a couple in scripture that was also waiting for something. We're going to look at a community that was looking for someone bigger than themselves and we're gonna look at a nation that was waiting for something way more powerful than the power that was oppressing them. And I love the story that we're gonna look at this morning because yes, it is a supernatural one, but it's also a very human one, a very honest one, a very real one that shows us what can happen when we allow the waiting period to prepare us in deep ways that we never could have imagined. But before we open God's word, would you stand up with me and let's ask God to open up our hearts this morning. And as you pray, I invite you to place your hands down by your side with your head bowed. And I want you to kind of clench your fists. And this is gonna represent the things that you're carrying into Christmas this year. Kind of like you or me take too many bags out of the car from the store What are you holding on to this Christmas? This is going to symbolize everything that we're carrying with our arms by our sides. And now I invite you to symbolically drop those bags at your feet. Whatever is in your heart, whatever is in your hands, whatever is in your mind, as best you can, for these next few moments, just let them drop at your feet with your hands open. Just stand there with your hands open. And now I want you to imagine that Jesus himself comes and slips his hand into your hand. Jesus' nail-pierced hands hold your hand. You don't have to say anything. Just let him stand right next to you. Jesus is here with us, our Emmanuel. Jesus is gonna stay by our side today no matter what we face, no matter what we have faced already. He is here right now and he isn't going anywhere. And so Lord Jesus, you are here with us. You have promised to never leave us, to never forsake us, never abandon us. And so, Lord Jesus, as best we can, we ask you to come close to us this morning, to hold our hands as we hold onto yours. Would you open our hearts this morning to your heart this day as we open your word to us? Thank you for always listening when we reach out to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, please open up to the book of Luke. Luke, chapter 1, New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. Don't be shocked. Uh, Luke chapter 1 is 80 verses. We'll get through most of them this morning. No, I'm just kidding, but we are going to cover a lot. So. Um, but Luke chapter 1, uh, just to set the scene up, Dr. Luke wrote the book of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts, and he's going to introduce us to a Jewish husband and wife who have been faithful in serving God and serving God's people for a while. And this couple is living in the nation of Israel that has been run by the Romans, and up until this point, there's been silence in Israel's relationship with God for some 400 years because of Israel's rebellion and sin against God in the past. Really, during these 400 years, all they've had to hold on to is the words in the Old Testament, the promises of God, and then each other as a people group as they try to rebuild and survive as a nation. So much has happened during those 400 years that many people are responding in different ways. Some in the community are fighting back against those who rule over them, Others choose to help God's children find their way back by serving in the temple. Some keep believing in the old ways and try to cling to the old ways of doing life with God only to, only to realize that they're stuck in their ways apart from God. But for the majority of the Jewish people, many of them are just trying to survive and please God at the same time. They're trying to honor God who gives them life and breath and their daily bread and still hold on onto the promises that one day God is gonna send the Messiah, the difference maker to them to fix the mess in the world. And this morning at the very beginning of the Christmas story, God is going to break that silence. But just because God is silent doesn't mean that God has left us. Just because God seems to be quiet and our circumstances seem to be the same, it doesn't mean that God has stopped working which is why the first thing we're going to see in our story this morning is the presence of devotion and disappointment in the life of this couple. The Christmas story begins with a couple who's devoted to God, but have a life that's not devoid of disappointment. Life with God can be this mixture, mixture of dedicated worship and unanswered prayers. Look with me, starting in verse 5 of chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Really, the first characters in Luke's account of the Christmas story begins with a couple who both live lives before God as a priest and a faithful wife. They are God's chosen people choosing to live a life of service to God and their community. And they're described as blameless, but they're also described as barren. Now, this would have been a cause for embarrassment or shame and even feeling less than in the eyes of the community for this family. But what these couple chose to do with their disappointment is for me what kind of stands out. They kept clinging to God. They kept serving God's people. They kept believing God's words were still for them even in the midst of this. They could have given up on God like so many others did or sought a life of pleasure rather than service but they still remained devoted in the midst of their disappointment. Christian author Henry Nouwen asks in his little book called With Open Hands, he asks this question. Can my hope in God grow deeper and stronger even when my wishes remain unfulfilled? It seems that for Zechariah and Elizabeth, it can. It seems that for many, all throughout the Bible, those who seriously are pointed to as having some of the greatest faith in the Bible also had major setbacks in their life. I know for me in my own life, the men and women that most encourage me are those who have truly walked with God, not when everything has been perfect, but when things have been so devastating and disappointing, but they still know and are still convinced that God is good and he really knows what's best, even when they don't understand what he's doing. Which brings us to the second thing present in the life of this couple, which is there's faithfulness and there's fear. During the early days of the Christmas story, God shows up for Zechariah and then Zechariah falls down. God always proves to be the faithful one in our lives, even when we don't understand how or why. Pick up reading in verse eight with me. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. And the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. What perfect timing, what an answer to prayer, what a beautiful promise. Just as Zechariah happens to be chosen to serve in the temple that, way, that day, God is choosing to break his silence and answer the longing of this precious couple's prayers. But this child that was gonna come wasn't just gonna be an answer to the couple's prayers, but it was also the answer to the prayers of a struggling nation for God to break his silence and redeem his people. I love how plainly Gabriel just says it to Zechariah, hey, your prayers have been heard. God is about to give you an incredible blessing in your life and you're gonna have joy and there's gonna be gladness and rejoicing inside your family, outside your family, all around you because people are gonna rejoice at what God is about to do. In the Christmas story, God is saying to Zechariah, he's saying to the children of Israel, he's saying to a weary world, I see you, I hear you, I understand how hard it has been for you i am glad to be with you and i can do something about what you're going through i wonder how many times Zechariah and elizabeth had prayed a prayer for the child only to be met with sadness in the womb or silence in the womb i wonder how many times their disappointment though maybe strengthened their devotion to god I wonder how many times the children of Israel prayed for God to send the Messiah in power and in righteousness only to have more suffering and more injustice piled on. I wonder how many times those prayers actually reattached the children of Israel to their creator. I wonder how many times in our own lives when we pray for God's plan or God's help or God's intervention and it's met with silence or it's met with disappointment or even dismay. Dismay. I wonder if in those moments, God is actually coming close to us. I wonder if God is listening to us. He's standing right next to us, helping us when we can't feel or see him, which is actually preparing us for the next step, which leads us to the third point this morning, which is to embrace repentance and readiness. You see, when it comes to this part in God's plan and answering this couple's prayer, it included preparing them for something greater than just one child. Walking with God includes taking steps that ready our souls and prepares more room for God in our lives. Look at verse 15. For he, John, the baby that will be coming, will be great before the Lord. And he he must not drink wine or strong drink And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many to the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This child of promise was going to prepare the way for the anointed one. This child of promise wasn't the anointed one, but he was going to point others and prepare others to be with him. Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, John, would be made ready by God's Spirit so that he could help God's people be ready for when God's son arrived on the scene. This was a signal to God's people that God's great rescuer, God's Messiah, was on his way. God didn't just send a Savior, He sent someone to point to that Savior. You see, that's how God is going to answer Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer. That's how he's choosing to answer the cries of his people. You see, God often leaves indicators that he's at work in our lives. But sometimes I know for myself, I have a hard time keeping my eyes and ears open to what he might be doing. And if I'm honest, sometimes we get so used to the company of disappointment and letdown and even sometimes of our own making that we'll see in our next point, we can experience whoopsie, and wonder when it comes to our relationship with God. And the Greek whoopsie has two O's, okay? So whoopsie and wonder. Even in the life of the most blameless, and the most faithful can also experience moments of disbelief and doubt in God. Sometimes we can't recognize when God answers our prayers because we live as if it's up to us to answer our own prayers. Look with me at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife has advanced in years. And then the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you didn't believe the words in my mouth, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering what was his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. But when his time of service ended, he went home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. What word or phrase comes to your mind as you hear this part of the story? Maybe don't say it out loud because we're in church. And what I mean by that is, whoa, I think for me, a lot of things come to my mind. Like, oh my gosh, did you really just say that, Zechariah, to an angel? I would also say, relax, Gabriel. This seems a little harsh. Did Zechariah really doubt that God was able to do this? Was it like a 5% doubt? Was it like a 95% doubt that God could do this? Or was the mere fact that he doubted God at all the reason that Gabriel started listing out his heavenly credentials and then slaps him with silence? How is Zechariah gonna handle this embarrassment or the guilt or the shame? How after so much praying and so much waiting, how can it be met with so much relief and then met with disbelief and then met with more waiting? Will this drive a wedge between Zechariah and God? I know that in my own life, I've often responded to my circumstances and my prayers and maybe even God's answers to my prayers with, I don't know, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not bright enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not able enough to do this. I think you probably have the wrong guy. I wonder if for Zechariah, when the angel Gabriel delivered this life-lifting, shame-shattering message of hope, if he just thought, ah, it's a little too good to be true. I mean, what did the conversation look like for Zechariah and his colleagues in the temple that day after this meeting with the angel? Let alone, what did, his, what did his conversation with his wife look like when he got home that day? Was it one of those, do you want to hear the good news or bad news first? Oh, and I can't talk and tell you about this. What did Zechariah do for nine months of silence? Did he beat himself up for failing? Did he replay the conversation with Gabriel over and over and over in his head? Was he able to still cling to God in the midst of the disappointment and revisit the waiting that he had been with his whole life? Did maybe Zechariah return to God's word and the prophets and say, oh, this is what Gabriel was talking about? Or was something deeper going on for those nine months? I wonder if Zechariah and Elizabeth were so connected to God that even in this myth step, it didn't shatter their faith, but it motivated them towards God because Zechariah's muteness and Elizabeth's pregnancy was a sign that God was in the process of answering their prayer. I wonder if God is doing something deeper in the heart of Zechariah, which was absolutely necessary, that he himself, even a priest of Israel, would be prepared and ready for the Lord's Messiah. I wonder if God was turning Zechariah, who had been a faithful man of God, back towards himself, even after all of his years of ministry. Was Was God answering the prayer of John, the one who was going to point to the Savior by pointing John's dad to the Savior from the very beginning? I wonder, is God even, even in our most embarrassing and our most I-can't-believe-I-just-did-this times of unbelief, sin or failure, is God reaching out to you and me in order to redeem us, heal us, and save us. I love what Romans 2.4 reminds us of when it says God, that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Perhaps our doubts and our disbeliefs aren't those things that disqualify us from having God work in our life but rather our invitations from God to be secured in our insecurities, to be comforted in our disappointments, and to be led back in faith towards God with whatever we have in our heart so that he can prepare us for whatever is to come. Which brings us to my final point this morning, that when it comes to waiting with God, it's an honest experience of devotion, it's an honest experience of disappointment, of faithfulness and fear, of repentance and readiness, of whoopsie, and wonder that wherein we discover that our perseverance can give way to praise. Perhaps even in the clumsiness of this couple, their commitment to their creator actually created space in them to praise like they've never praised before. Maybe we too can reach a point that if we hold fast to the Lord, even when we experience failure, it can actually prepare us and our souls for true and wonderful worship. Look with me at verse 57 now. 57 in chapter one. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and as they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives are called by that name. And then they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all the things that were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the Lord, for the hand of the Lord was it upon him. This is a beautiful moment in this couple's life. It's a joyous time in the community where they're being surrounded by the relief that came. And I would encourage you tonight, maybe read the rest of chapter one. We don't have time this morning, but it's a beautiful, you get to hear finally what Zechariah does say after his nine months of silence. And I would imagine over those nine months while John was growing in Elizabeth's womb, that Zechariah's faith and trust in God was growing as well. Indeed, the more that Elizabeth was showing in her pregnancy, I believe that Zechariah's praise and his perseverance began to grow and grow inside of him as well. The definition of perseverance is the persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving that success. Zechariah wasn't going to let this whoopsie of his worship define him in his community but rather he was gonna let God define him, God define his wife, and even God define the name of his son. And as this couple prepared for the coming of their son, the nation was also being prepared for God's Messiah to come. God was making room inside of them for his entrance. And I think part of perseverance feels like long suffering because we don't know when the silence will be broken. But when we bring our whole souls to God in prayer, in service to others, an utter dependence on him, no matter what's going on, I believe that we start to become the kind of people who have been made ready for the Lord, a people prepared. One New Testament scholar says the lesson that pious Zechariah learns is important, especially to those who have a rich spiritual heritage. He is a man, Zechariah is a man of lifelong faith who still needed to grow. It is all too easy for us to view our spiritual life as something that needs to be mastered rather than maintained. So in closing, what if in our waiting, God is preparing something in us? What if in our waiting, God is preparing something bigger for us and our community? What if in our waiting, God is preparing us to serve those that he places around us so that he can deliver through us his promises, his gladness, and even his cares. I wonder as we learn to walk with our creator this Christmas, how Jesus will hold our hands no matter what we're facing, no matter what is coming, and no matter how long we've been there. Perhaps this Christmas it's possible that the God of hope can deliver his hope to us and grow it deeper and stronger, even in our disappointments and when our wishes remain unfulfilled. Maybe even this Christmas, there will be deep and lasting joy for the world because the Lord has come. Maybe God is in whatever we're feeling or facing or failing at so that our hearts can prepare him room and heaven and nature could sing. Would you pray with me? began our time by asking Jesus to come and hold on to our hands. Well, Jesus has been here the whole time and he's been by your side even up until now. And I want you to imagine Jesus leaning over and saying to you, I can see you. I can hear you. I understand how hard it has been for you and I'm so glad to be with you. And you know what? I can do something about what you're going through. Talk with the Lord Jesus right now about whatever is coming up in your heart that you've heard this morning. Just take a few moments. Dear God, we are so full of wishes, full of desires and expectations. Some of them may be realized, but many of them are not. But in the midst of all of my satisfactions and my disappointments, may we hope in you. We know that you will never leave us alone and you will fulfill your divine promises. And even when it seems like these things aren't going our way, we know that things are going your way. And that in the end, your way is the best for us. So Lord Jesus, would you strengthen our hope, especially when our wishes are not fulfilled. May we never forget that your name is love. Because of Jesus.